Welcome to Real Food, Real Conversations with Sophia DeSantis, where we focus on finding our happy balance between salad and fries. Welcome back to the Real Food, Real Conversations podcast with me, Sophia DeSantis. I am so excited that you're back today. And this is episode 82. And I'm super excited for this episode because I have my friend here, Lynn, and she is going to kind of guide us through her story um, about living with diabetes and not just really living with diabetes, but like thriving with diabetes. And that is the thing is when it comes to chronic disease, there's so much we can do than just you know, take it, be sad, hide in our house, um, wallow. And I feel like this is a perfect uh, story for those of you that might be coming here trying to find ways to live life to the fullest in spite of something that might be happening. So welcome, Lynn. Can you tell everybody who you are, what you do? All that good <laughs> no, stuff? I, I can't tell them who I am, but I'll, I'll take a stab at it. They're perfect. <laughs> For one thing, uh, I'm I'm a grandmother. I'm 75 years old. So I'm what I talk about is from the perspective of having lived it for decades. And uh, you don't hear a ton on the media from from older folks, you know, from people who have kind of been there and done it. So uh, and and I completely identify, especially with moms trying to deal with feeding families and feeding their parents at the same time, dealing with parents who may not be well, who may have chronic disease. So uh, and now COVID. (laughs) So y'all have this amazing burden uh, keeping houses and, and keeping kitchens and keeping everybody around you alive. And, um, and I want to say, Sophia, and first, thank you so much for, for having me on. It's fun and interesting, as we've already talked. Um, I, I think, maybe oddly, of my diabetes as a gift. I think of it as something that opened my eyes fairly early in my life to thinking about food in a completely different way and to approaching how I fed myself, how I fed my family, how I exercised in a way that I wouldn't have had I not known that I was diabetic. And the difference is most people don't get diagnosed until later in their life because it's, it's like many other chronic diseases, it doesn't show. It doesn't, the, the symptoms are not obvious. So I actually found out when I uh, had my first child, they, after this 10 pound baby boy was born and I'm not large, I'm five, four and pretty small. um, They said, these doctors all male at the time. And I was in the South said, well, looks like you might've been diabetic. And they did some tests and sure enough, I was gestational diabetic, but finding out after the baby was born, which uh, fortunately that's not how they do things anymore, but yeah, <laughs> fortunately. Um, so, so I knew then in my uh, late twenties, they said, you very likely will become diabetic. It was pronounced as if it were a thing, you know, my fate, you will become diabetic. So I carried that around. uh, And as I got into my late 30s, early 40s, I started saying on regular checkups, 
shouldn't I be tested? Shouldn't, shouldn't you be, oh, no, no, you, you know, you're not overweight, you're fine, you're this, you're that. Finally, talked someone into giving me an, a hemoglobin A1C blood test. And sure enough, I was not badly over the line, but I was certainly not, not my numbers didn't look good. And so I, you know, I was maybe 41, 42, 43, I'm not sure the exact year, but I started paying attention because the way things go, my early childhood was so colored by the fact that my mother had a, a, a chronic disease. She had kidney disease. So I grew up with a mom who was somewhat incapacitated and who died when I was 18. So I had a very close up and personal look at what chronic disease does to a family and what it does in addition to making everyone work harder and uh, brings a lot of unhappiness, pain, whatever. It also brings financial ruin to a family. And that may sound tacky to talk about when you're talking about health, but we live in a country where, you know, if you get sick and you're not covered by the right insurance company, it can take all the money you have. So uh, staying healthy. And I was, became a single mother fairly early in my uh, motherhood. I had three little kids, uh, all in pampers, all under the age of four. And um, so I, I needed to find out a way to stay on my feet, stay healthy and strong. And as a consequence, I learned how to cook and shop and all of that. Uh, the way we at that time thought you needed to do for diabetes. And of course, that's evolved over the years, as you know, Sophia. Yes. Uh, and, and then the other, the big change came for me uh, after years and years of reading, studying this and managing my own diabetes, which, you know, I, I kept it in control and I was fine. I, I exercised, I did the things. And then in 2019, which seems like a thousand years ago now, doesn't it? Um, I went to a, a medical conference and no, I'm not an MD, but I just, I, this was a conference called the Plantricians Conference, which was a thousand medical doctors, MDs from all over the world who practice with um, a plant-based whole food orientation, talking with their patients about healing with food. And so they're kind of outliers, but it was people you, it was Dean Ornish and other people you may have heard of kind of stars in their field. So for an entire week, five days, I listened to and watched, uh, um, presentations, those awful PowerPoint presentations that we read. <laughs> it was fascinating to me because I thought I knew a fair amount about, and I had my book, uh, Brownies for Breakfast. I had a little promo with me and I had it about, I don't know, three quarters written. And because I wanted to get feedback from these medical folks. Well, as I saw, sat through these presentations, I realized that there was a different take on diabetes now that was just coming to the fore. And it's this, that we have all thought about carbs, 
And, you know, even if you're not diabetic, you know what a carb is and you know how <laughs> that affects you and weight loss and yes. all about carbs. Well, here they were. And the surgeons were talking about some of the surgeries that they'd done on children, eight, nine years old, where they would open these kids up for whatever reason and find that their veins were full of plaque. They already had all of the signs of impending heart disease and other chronic diseases and diabetes. And what they have discovered is that it is because of animal fat. So, yeah. (laughs) And I, I mean, that was a big head turner for me because as many of us diabetics have done, I, I lived on protein, meat, a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And I never met a pork chop I didn't like. I mean, steak, you know, whatever, bring it on, hamburger, all of it, eggs. And all of a sudden, this was a real head slapper. Uh, and so I sat through these presentations at the same time, by the way, eating with all the rest, everyone at this big uh, conference center where we were. And I kept thinking, you know, they're talking about eating whole food, plant-based food. This food isn't very good. (laughs) So I thought, I think there's a place for people like me who want to eat good food, who want to eat healthy food, but also let's make it yummy. Okay. Uh, and, And so I came away inspired in two directions. One, yes, I, I want to keep putting out my, my recipes that are easy and accessible and healthy. But uh, I got in the car when my husband picked me up and, and I said, okay, guess what? <laughs> and he, being the sweet guy that he is, said, what? And I said, I'm vegan now. And he said, okay, I'm in. Big surprise. So- <laughs> For six months, I did an experiment on myself. I had just been and had my numbers done. And I hope most of you all listening now know what a hemoglobin A1C test is. It's a blood test that tells you the average of the last few weeks of what your blood glucose numbers are. So it's Mm -hmm. not what's happening now. It's what's happening in general with your blood glucose. So I just had my numbers done and, and, and I thought I can do, I can do an experiment here using my favorite subject myself. And, and I did for six months, I did not eat one bite of animal, anything. I didn't even sniff a pork chop, nothing. And at the end of those six months, as I am supposed to do anyway, get my numbers redone. I got my numbers redone and lo and behold, I had reduced my hemoglobin A1C by three points. When I went back to my physician, who I've been with for a long time, uh, she said, uh, this just doesn't happen, Lynn, not at your age. And I said, guess what? <laughs> it just happened. And here's how. And so I've, I've been on a tear since then, finding out more, learning as much as I could. And at the same time, I'm seeing that the whole medical world is making this turn like a battleship, you know, this whole big, slow moving, complicated world is going, hey, you know, there's really something here to this whole food plant based thing. 
it's healing people. It's preventing disease. And so that's what I've been talking about. And when my book came out recently, it, I do include uh, a salmon recipe and, and I invite people to add a little bit of animal stuff if they want to and tell them where and how, but I encourage everybody, all of us, if you're going to eat animal products, please make sure that you know where that chicken came from. Maybe the chicken's uh, farmer has a name and that's good to know the name of the farmer and the chicken. And if you are eating beef or pork, make sure that it is beef or pork or lamb that has eaten real grass on a real hillside someplace and has not been shot full of chemicals and antibiotics because, we're literally killing ourselves, poisoning ourselves, eating factory-based food, factory-produced food. Uh, and, and that's a whole big fat discussion, as you know. Uh, uh-huh. But uh, if, if you are responsible for feeding yourself and especially others in your home, that's a thing you need to really think about. One of the reasons I titled my book um, brownies for breakfast, a cookbook for diabetics and the people who love them is because I think it's important that we eat together. And when you look now at so many families, you know, the kids are off here and there different times and they've got different schedules and they've got different, uh, ways of eating and maybe mom and dad or just mom are living with them and in, in and they're on a completely different trajectory and they need different foods that they want. So whoever is running the kitchen, you, you wind up not sitting at the table together and you wind up eating different foods at different times. And that to me is part of the problem. Well, and what you talked about as far as the, um, the, you know, bringing out animal products and the eating together, both of them are kind of, two really important things of kind of things that I believe in with my brand. I mean, I, everything I create is, you know, plant-based mostly, you know, made with whole foods. I do have no problem with adding in some, you know, store-bought, you know, you know, meats that are, you know, plant-based meats and tofus and things like that from time to time, like we do, but, you know, in general, you know, mostly is, is whole foods. But the important thing is, is that if you like salmon, like if that's something you love, like I, agreed. I don't think that it's, um, a problem to add that in from time to time, you know, maintaining some balance in your life because, uh, being a hundred percent plant-based whole food or 90%, you know, I think in general, if you live, it's more like overall what you're doing versus what you're doing, you know, in the details of every single day. Um, Absolutely. It's your habits. It's your habits. Well, yeah. and also sitting at the table together. I mean, we're a family of five and I've got three kids all in sports. My husband works. I work, you know, yeah. I have a life. He yeah. has a life. Um, we do try to sit and have dinner as a family, you know, as many days of the week as we can. Um, you know, some days the kids, you know, one kid eats before because they have practice and whatever. But the thing that sitting together as a family lets you do, and this is something I really strongly believe in, while putting what you put into your body is extremely important, you know, the food. Um, how you move the exercise, the mental health piece is actually a really large piece that I think is slowly starting to come into the medical field. 
as a connection to our health because stress is, you can put all the great things in your body as you want, but if you live in a state of constant stress, you aren't, you aren't really achieving what you want while putting in all those whole foods because fight and flight triggers parts of our system that is contributing to these chronic diseases as well. So sitting as a family, well, and that's where sitting as a family is important because it helps you kind of be present and mindful and, and it helps counteract that stress that maybe you've acquired throughout the day. And I feel it myself like crazy, crazy day, kids fighting this, that, but when you sit as a family, um, and you start asking about each other's days, there's something, a calm that kind of comes in and it helps you regulate a little. So that's so important. It's so important, Sophia. And not only that, but that's where your kids learn culture. That's where your kids learn how their parents relate to each other and how they should relate to one another. That's where you learn how to take turns and help each other. And I, I see so many families that don't ask much of anything of their kids in the way of help. And I, to me, that's a huge mistake. And a meal is, is a way my kids all cooked with me and nobody got up from the table without carrying a dish or a pot or something. We are all in this together. And there's a huge mental health element of a kid feeling, feeling uh, indispensable in their family, feeling like, like they are truly helping, like they're competent. And, you know, you don't need to learn Chinese or, or uh, ballet. It, it, those are fine things, but it starts at your kitchen table, I think. Uh, and you need to know the language of food. You need to know how to present yourself at a table. I hear stories now of kids starting co- going away to college and they've never really used utensils to eat, you know, <laughs> it's like, hello, um, you're... Yeah you're not as parents teaching what you need to teach if your children have not been part of the mealtime ritual in every way. And it, you know, sometimes that means including an older relative that maybe is a little difficult or whatever, but it's all part of learning who you are and who your people are. Um, and, and it's around food. And in, in the book, I say food is never just food. Food is connection. Yes. In a big Absolutely. Way. Yeah. Absolutely. And another thing I talk about is, and you probably do as well, is sleep. People don't understand that there is all kinds of peer-reviewed research connecting how well you sleep to how well you eat. In other words, you can't eat well if you haven't slept well, and you can't sleep well unless you've eaten well. And then we have to define what we mean by well, and I'll come back to that. But I remember learning with great shock and uh, adopting it immediately that I think it was Dr. Greger who, who began talking about this a few years back. And that is that you, your body absolutely is unable to heal unless you are in deep sleep. That's the time that you heal when you are yeah. deeply asleep. It's so, almost like a broom. I've actually had somebody on to talk about sleep. Good. I'm another expert. And it's Great. actually, it says that 
um, that is the time that like in your brain, it's almost like a broom comes in and cleans yeah. out those like synapses in those areas so that these toxins yes. are built up and it helps kind of reset your body. It does. It's, it's like this car wash thing yes. that happens in your brain. And, and if you have that picture, then suddenly you understand how important it is for your sleep habits to be improved. And you can't do that without thinking about food. The way in my life, for example, that I've adapted to that, and this is also, this goes to Ayurvedic uh, wisdom, which is a whole other subject. We can talk about a different time. Have you had anyone on about Ayurveda? Uh, I haven't. I have a few people actually that have, I haven't got to yet. I have a list of of people that have emailed me that, yes, it is a topic that I definitely want to cover at some point. It's really interesting. And and I have a friend who is an Ayurvedic uh, doc. And so uh, he was the one who introduced me a number of years ago to the idea that you need to stop eating early in the afternoon, three, four, five o'clock latest. <clears throat> That's the end. And of course, most Americans haven't even started eating until right five, six o'clock, and they're still eating at 10 at night. But your body is, is operating based on circadian rhythm. And so it is ready to digest in the middle of the day, not at night. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Pardon me. It doesn't want to digest in the middle of the day. Um, And actually one thing that I have, um, (coughs) my sleep expert did say on that as well is that, um, yeah, there are definitely, there's different, you know, thoughts as far as like digestion, things like that. But like, she has people she works with that have trouble um, staying asleep. And one thing that actually, when you have trouble staying asleep, um, is right before you go to bed, having a very small um, boost of protein, like some nuts, or something like that, it actually does trigger some things in your brain that um, helps your your brain settle and stay asleep throughout the night. And she's actually treated a few patients with things like that. So it's amazing how food and sleep and body and mind are as so connected. And I think that I think that, you know, medical experts are slowly starting to, to see that connection, whereas before it was always, oh, you can't sleep here, here's a med to help you stay right, asleep. Right, right. Oh, they're absolutely coming around to this. And of course, lots of talk now about fasting which is a scary word, but it really just means extending the times between your meals. And what we're talking about here is, quote, fasting before you sleep for a small amount of time. And it, it, you know, this is something that you have to work out for yourself. But for many of us, releasing ourselves from this kind of um, frantic and habitual need to be putting stuff in our mouths all the time, you can stop, you know, you can, you, you can learn that it's okay. If you've had enough, you're okay. You're fine. You can relax because your body is, wants you to be done eating. So it can go to work doing the things that it needs to do. Um, and I, I think that this, like you brought up a good point. I think that also this whole, you know, food, body, mind connection, you know, part of it, and what you talk about is always, you know, eating. And part of it is that our, our online world has 
infiltrated with so many diets and rules and this and that, um, that people have lost that intuition and that intuitive connection with their own bodies because they rely on outside sources to tell them when they should eat, what they should eat. And I, and I believe this with everything where ultimately once we have learned to stop that outside noise and truly pay attention to our inner selves and what our body's trying to tell us, we are in do, we're able to more so be able to do what's best for us. Like I know personally, there's so many accounts online that are like, oh, if you're, if you work out, if you're really active, you need to eat right. You know, this time, right before you work out, blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm extremely active. I work out a ton and I'm 44 years old. And I will tell you right now that I don't care who tells me what my body cannot eat. I, and I work out early in the morning. My body cannot eat before I work out in the morning. I just can't. I get sick. My stomach does not like it. Do I eat after? Absolutely. But it's because I'm listening to what it, I don't care if an expert tells me I need to. I, I don't have a better workout if I eat this protein filled right. meal right before. I actually have a worse workout because my stomach hurts. Right. So like you said, like this need to always be doing things. I think it's also connected to what, you know, this outside world of everyone telling us, you know, eat every hour, don't eat every hour, don't eat for 10 hours. It's like, why don't we just listen to what our body's telling us? <laughs> if you're hungry, you know, eat. If you're not hungry, like you said, like there's times that it's lunchtime and I'm not hungry. So guess what? I don't eat because I'm not hungry. Just because it's lunchtime doesn't mean I have to eat. <laughs> that's really, that's wisdom, Sophia. And also, you know, three meals a day, how long, how many decades have we heard that? three meals a day, right? We think that's sort of written in stone somewhere. Right. And sometimes I have two. No, sometimes I have three <laughs> meals a day. And sometimes I have four. It just depends. Like, yeah. and like you said, yeah, you don't have to have three meals a day at this time, this time, and this time. And there are other little things that are still stuck in our brains because they were an advertising campaign at one point. Uh, things of, like milk, it, you know, it, I, I'm not the only one. This is very well known now, you know this, that cow's milk is really not good for kids. Right. Yeah. It's not. Um, it is meant to fatten up calves and make a calf go from a tiny little creature to a big, huge creature in a hurry. And, and so it's not the stuff that you should be putting in your human child's body. And yet as a culture, and I think about things like ice cream, that everyone associates with joy and happiness and good times and so on. And someone like me as a diabetic, that's death on a stick. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not a thing that I eat or that I want to encourage anybody to eat. And yes, it's so, and yet it's so deeply imbued in the culture as this wonderful, happy thing that we should all have as a treat. Um, it's not, it's not right. Right. And, no, totally. Uh, when you, I don't often, well, let's be honest. I hardly ever go to regular grocery stores because I live way out in the country and, and because I grow food and because my husband happily will go and shop when we need shopping. Uh, I shop at the farmer's market here locally. And, uh, and so happily, I, I don't, need to go in regular grocery stores, but I did a couple of weeks ago and 
um, and of course, again, COVID, you know, we've been locked up for a long time, but it's a real crazy experience to walk in and see that half of the store is a bakery. Another third of the store is a liquor store. And another third of the store is ice cream and um, dairy. And then way over in the corner <laughs> is the produce, right? And the, yeah. the, the stuff that I want to eat um, and feed to people. And that kind of tells you everything you need to know about how Americans eat and, and what the problem is with folks today. You know, that, right. Yes. I mean, Absolutely. That's, that's where it's coming from. And, and we all have enjoyed the benefits of being able to buy packaged foods and buy things that make putting a meal on the table easy. Uh, but when, and again, I was a single mom of three kids. And so my superpower became putting a meal on the table in 15 minutes. And when I say meal, I meant I wanted it to be real food uh, because of my personal condition because I wanted my kids to eat healthy. So, so we learned how to do that. And it's, it is absolutely possible to do. It's quite possible to put a great, healthy, whole food, plant-based meal on the table in 15 minutes. Absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't have to be fancy no, um, at all. Um, so while you were just talking about, um, you know, the milk issue and things that you have to watch out for and what you want to do with your kids. Like what are, for people that are listening um, that are living with this condition, what are some things to consider and things that they kind of need to watch for as they try to manage this every day? I, I want people to eat with joy. <laughs> yeah. I want everybody to be happy and I am not a fan of measuring things and, you know, journaling things so the tricks that that I've lived with over the years are things like always having, almost always having a bowl of homemade uh, coleslaw in the fridge. So when you come in the door and you're hungry or you need to put a meal on quick, you pull that coleslaw homemade out and it is all vegetables and some veginase. That's what it is. It's just vegetables. And it's a great snack and it's great as a side dish and it's great on a sandwich. It's having food right there, ready to go. That is the right food for you. And another thing, another trick is soup. Americans don't eat much soup and you can't eat soup pretty much that you buy because if you read the label as please, I want everybody to always read the labels. Don't ever buy anything without reading that label, especially if you're diabetic, because I guarantee the second or third item in the ingredients is going to be sugar. Um, so you train yourself to understand that if you are buying packaged food, you are probably buying sugar. So you, you need to make your own soup, which is so easy and it's accessible and it smells great cooking and people now are making it in Instapots, which makes it extra easy. But you make your soup on one day of the week. And then, and I have in my book, I have something called Genius Soup, which is uh, the genius of it is that it becomes a different meal every day. 
you make it. It's as a basic, like that French grandma soup with uh, with carrots and onions and celery chopped as the base and then broth. And then all the, the greens that are in your fridge that haven't been eaten. And I know you and I see you and you're not eating all your greens. So take them and chop them up and put them in the soup bowl and the soup cooks. So you end up with this lovely pot of vegetable soup that goes then in the fridge. And then on Monday night, you take it out and, and you add whatever else you've, you've got in there that you want to put in there. You maybe add some beans. You can make pasta from it. If you've got some fish, you can poach fish in it. And, and again, I'll refer to my book because I make the suggestions. So it's warm and healthy and easy and simple. It smells great. It's delicious. And you can have it on the table in 10, 15 minutes easily because you've, you've planned, you've thought ahead. Uh, you, can't, you can't eat well or survive well as a diabetic or with any other chronic disease for that matter, heart disease, without thinking about your food ahead. Somebody has to think about it and it's going to probably have to be you. Um, yes. Well, and in general, any sort of dietary, I mean, I can't eat gluten. Uh, my body does not uh, do well with it. So you really, you always have to kind of think you're any, any sort of health issue you have, unfortunately, yes. you <clears throat> kind of need to think ahead of time and, you know, you think bet. to yourself, you know, if you I bet. don't know, there's going to be something I can eat there. I better either eat before, um, snack a little bit. So I'm not hungry while I'm there and be able yep. to eat home or, you know, bring someone, something. And with in me my, for sure. my book, I talk about those strategies. Exactly. Um, and, and, and I also talk about how to stock up what to be sure you've always got so that you can make a meal. And, and it, once you get the hang of it, it's, it's pretty easy, really. And you feel sorry for those people who go home and don't have that stuff in their pantry um, because you can always make a meal. And it, it isn't going to be a grim. I mean, there are things in my book, donuts, brownies, uh, pancakes. If you make them out of the right stuff, they're delicious and they're a great meal. So, you know, you're not going to suffer. You're going to eat really well. You just have to think about it. And you have to change your habits if you have been counting on packaged foods that are designed. And again, Sophie, you know about food and you know this, there, there are buildings full of people. Uh, let's say they're on the East Coast. I can tell you kind of which highway they're on. Buildings full of people who are doing the food science, who, who enhance what's called craveability in foods so that it actually tricks your body into not being able to get enough of it. So those chips and things that you can't just eat one, that's right. You cannot just eat one. They are actually addictive. Once you stop eating those packaged foods, you realize your body becomes, becomes accustomed to eating real food and you can't eat as much of it. You just can't. You, you get enough and you'll get all the correct signals from your gut that say, okay, done. Whereas if you're eating Pringles, you, you don't get that signal. You never do. Likewise, pizza. Pizza yes. is, according to the plantricians, the most addictive food, the most addictive prepared food you can eat. Uh, and of course, any kind of, and you know, because you avoid gluten, but 
uh, a wheat flour is higher on the glycemic index than sugar. Rice um, is very high on the, and the glycemic index, for anyone who doesn't know, is the measurement of how quickly whatever you eat uh, affects your system in terms of your insulin and your glucose uptake. So something yes. that's high on the glycemic index is not good at all for diabetics. And so you, right. you get a sense of that once you're diagnosed, I hope. But I don't, I've, I've been doing this for so long, I don't have to think much about it. I know what to not eat. I don't eat rice. I don't eat pasta, except occasionally some brown rice pasta, uh, at, which is yummy and wonderful, and you don't have to have much of it, but it can enhance your options. I don't eat potatoes, white potatoes. I'll eat, um, uh, you know, other healthy kind of red potatoes, yams and things like that, but not very much. Um, nor do I crave them, you know, no, nor do I wish I were eating them because I'm eating other stuff that's great. Uh, beans are a thing that we used to be told as diabetics were, were not a thing we should be eating because they're high in carbs, but beans are super healthy food. They're full of all kinds of good stuff and they're full of fiber. Yeah. Which is important for regulating blood sugar big time. Super important. And it completely changes. If you're eating a ton of fiber, your system is, is happy and, and not um, struggling with um, carbohydrates. So yeah, beans are great. But anything, oh, fava beans, uh, something that we grow here, and I absolutely love uh, that so many people have never eaten a, a real fava bean that they shelled and cooked. And I'm here to tell you, they're divine, and they're inexpensive, and they, they look great. They're kind of a cool-looking thing, which is another thing about eating a lot of vegetables. All of a sudden, you realize there's this huge variety, this rainbow of things with different textures and different shapes and different colors. You know, if you've been eating beige, uh, you need to, to move on up, you know, <laughs> yeah. you've just been eating brown and white. <laughs> There's a whole swell world of food out there, but you do have to think about it. You can't just mindlessly grab, you know, we've got two or three generations of people who've been driving through now for two or three or four meals a day. Um, and there is virtually, trust me, no good food that you can get at a drive-through. I'm sorry, even an impossible burger. If you're desperate, okay. But it's, it's not the food that you really want to be feeding yourself or your family if you're driving through and getting it. If you're going and, and getting coffee at Starbucks or Pete's, these places that we love, first of all, there's the plastic part of it. But um, I tell the story in, in my book of my girlfriend, my neighbor here in town, we decided that, that we wanted to look into opening a cafe and what a fun idea. And so we went and took a class on how to open your own cafe. And the first thing the guy said was, you know what? You're not going to be in the coffee business. You're going to be in the milk and sugar business. 
what? So he went on to talk about all the varieties of milk and so on. But when you think about it, who goes into Pete's and Starbucks besides me and gets a black coffee? Nobody, you know, these, these coffees are loaded with cow's milk and sugar and cream. Uh, And that's how people are starting their days. And plus the pastry, you know, well, yeah, I mean, I can't, I'll, I can't even tell you the stories when I was teaching the kids that used to come with hot chocolate and a donut. I just, I just cringed, yeah. but <laughs> this has been so great. I mean, I love all the tips and tricks that you gave to people and things to watch out for. Um, just so many ideas and for sharing your story and just thank you for being here and helping people, you know, not only the information that you gave, but also just giving people um, the just the comfort that it, it's not a death sentence. It's, you know, you can learn to manage it. You, there are things you can do to help and um, live a very, you know, delicious, fulfilled life. So thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. And, and I hope that, you know, I am, I am not deprived in any way. And uh, at this age, I am happy and healthy and full of it and working out three times a day, doing Pilates just like my 42 year old friends, you. And, I love it. Uh, and it's a great, fun way to be part of a community, too. Going back to the mental health thing. Exactly. Uh, you want to be able to move, and you will only be able to move if you pay attention to what you're eating. Well, and community is a big part of this as well. It's um, huge. Having yeah. the connection is, you know, and, and that's another, you know, big thing. Finding, if you are struggling with this, finding people that you can connect with in your local community that you can, you know, share stories with and, you know, share ideas with is just, yeah. you know, for anything, not just diabetes, for anything you might be going through um, is a big thing. But I just, I'm happy to have people on here to share their story and give people that that, you know, little push of courage to um, get out there and start living life because life is short as we know it. <laughs> it is. And diabetes made mine better, which is I love that. I would love for people to have it. Uh, I've lived it and I'm happy to share it. And so fun to be with you today. Thank you, Sophia. Absolutely. And for all of you listening, thank you so much for being here and listening to the podcast. If it's something you love, I would so appreciate a rate and review because the more rates I get, Um, the more people like Lynn here that want to come onto the podcast and share their stories and share information. And that is my point is to get as much information here for all of you as listeners. Um, So I thank you guys as well. Um, And, you know, come back again for any episode you may have missed and um, our next episode that will be dropping next week as well. So thanks everybody. And thank you again, Lynn. Thank you.